Graft in our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us true religion. And bring forth in us the fruit of good works. Amen. Graft in our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us true religion. Steadfast words. Words that have God at the very center. Words that speak of the Lord, the creator of power and might in the same breath that turns us to the love of that Lord. Words that grasp that God is at the heart of all worthy things is in fact the source of all that is good. This prayer makes us stop. It allows us to exhale. It allows us to let our shoulders down and lay aside our anxieties. But where does it leave us? Perhaps it leaves us in the pursuit and the practice of true religion. Not a bad place to be as a Christian in these first decades of the 21st century. But what keeps us on track, you might ask? From the overwhelming witnesses that I've met here in the last five years since my arrival, I would agree with Paul writing to the Hebrews, let mutual love continue. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So bottom line, it remains our duty to keep one another within the household of God, worshiping at the eternal banquet, week by week, surrounded by the cloud of witnesses of that heavenly place. Consequently, I wanted to share an encounter from two weeks before, and although I won't use her name, she knows very well that I'm going to share this story before any of you begin to wonder. But a member of this flock was wrestling and shared with me that she feels most at home and most fulfilled in doing something of great significance, like feeding other people. She felt she could at least be sure in that action that she was doing something for God. And so we began to talk about the puzzling fact that when we engage in helping others, we feel centered, we grow whole, and yet most of us really struggle, if we're most honest, all the time to resist such experiences because we have a conflict in our modern world between what is our sense of how we look out for ourselves and what is our instinct of looking out for others which actually brings us back to looking out for ourselves in community. Soon after this conversation, I read over today's propers and I thought to myself of my childhood in Louisiana. I have many fondly, fond memories of my grandparents of which you have probably heard almost too many at times. And yet, the dearest experiences always seem to center 
around Sunday afternoons. In the morning, all of our extended family members would go to church together. We would greet friends and neighbors outside, and then we would make our way, each son and family rushing not to be the last, up the hill, around the corner, and down the way by the river to my grandparents' house across from Audubon Park in New Orleans. And once there, we would assemble as if roll call. I was, of course, one of 11 grandchildren born of five sons who had been long manifested and cherished out of the love of these grandparents or parents. These occasions were not state banquets. They were not a feast in heaven, but they were family gatherings. Each son's family perpetually linked to all the rest. And I recall these special afternoons not for the fellowship necessarily or the mountains of gourmet food prepared since the early morning, but as the symbol of my grandmother's hospitality. You see, we were never to pay back, to host an occasion, to be anything more than recipients accepting her love and her generosity. And the oddness of these times was that she cooked the meal herself. However, the most remarkable expect was to witness the preparation. Once a week, this beloved matriarch suspended all of her obligations, donned an apron, got out her family recipes, and required those who normally did her bidding to sit sipping tea as she cooked for hours. And then, for a few long hours of enjoyed chaos, the kitchen was put back in order, the table laid for visiting royalty, the places filled with loved ones. But unlike some family gatherings, no one other than my grandfather was assigned a seat. From the youngest to the oldest, from the oldest to the youngest, everyone was welcome at the big table. No one had any obligation other than to be content to be at that table. Now, not until recently did I realize what an anomaly were these occasions. This morning's gospel presents us with a series of anomalies. Jesus' first parable teaches a repudiation of the social hierarchy of his time. Acting humbly is what brings honor, not presuming to exalt oneself. Even further than this lesson on recognizing humility, Jesus teaches about the virtue of generosity. The custom of time was for the host to invite guests who could reciprocate. And to Jesus' way of thinking, this was not generosity, but merely an exchange of wealth for wealth, a business transaction a way to get your ugly daughter married off. Jesus exalts his listeners to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. People who not only could not repay their host, but whose poverty and disability 
had up until now been considered punishment from God as if something in their ancestry was shameful. But Jesus not only defined true generosity, but also dismissed the popular notion that suffering is a result of divine punishment. Jesus challenges his audience to understand that the reign of God is one of inclusion, not exclusion, and that the virtues of humility and generosity are two of the tools that help build God's reign on earth. Yes, Jesus often ate with tax collectors, fallen women, sinners of many types, failed fishermen. But he also invited himself, more often than not, into the homes of local celebrities, corrupt politicians, and trendsetters. Perhaps ironic to our conception of the Lord, Jesus seems to have accepted any and all invitations from all and sundry. But once he was there, he used the occasions as teaching grounds to reach all people. Following in the footsteps of the great fishermen, each of us lives into our place in the household of God located in the here and now. We attempt to manifest true religion as the love that notices those on the outside equally with those on the inside. And yet, we acknowledge we cannot do it on our own. We need God to graft our hearts. We need this community to strengthen us in our commitments. My friends, the good news is that we are not being asked to be perfect. As Diana said last week, we have never been asked to be worthy. Instead, we are being invited to become whole. We each receive a call day in and day out from the time of our baptismal covenant to simply share in God's love, in God's banquet, the truest family gathering for you, for me, and for those yet to be invited in. Amen.